Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Lauren. Mike. How much time would you say you have put into making your Roblox avatar look exactly like you? Like 67 seconds. Tops. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I haven't really put any time into it. Have you? Uh, sort of, not really. I mean, mine looks nothing like me right now. He has purple skin and a block-shaped head. But if I wanted to actually make him look like me, I would have to spend like hundreds of Robux and I don't have hundreds of Robux. Oh, you mean you don't keep your Robux in your digital wallet right next to your poke dollars and your crypto? <laughs> no. Oh, your other make-believe money? No, digital currencies and microtransactions feel a little surreal to me. Well, 65 million people every day seem to think this is very real. And by people, I mean a lot of young people, like much younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds terrifying, but we should talk about it. <laughs> we totally should. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. So today we are talking about Roblox. The platform where you can play games created by other users is extremely popular. Extremely popular. <laughs> Over 160 million people visit Roblox's virtual world every month, and around half of all Americans under the age of 16 are Roblox users. Even though Roblox is already ubiquitous among younger users, it is aging up. This week, the company announced that it's adding animated video chat to the list of experiences that it offers, and it's doing so not only to attract more adults, but also to give its hardcore fans a reason to stick around as they grow older, as we all do. <laughs> as is the natural order of things. <laughs> as it is. I think we should start by explaining, like, what is Roblox mm -hmm. and why are the kids so addicted to it? Um, why are we talking about it on Gadget Lab? Well, you hinted at this a little bit. Roblox isn't just a game or a game app. It's a platform we use and we hear that word a lot. It's filled with tons of user-generated games. And these are not big, epic, level one action adventure games. These are often slightly more casual games. And they can be played on pretty much any device, your phone, your PC, an iPad. 
And because they're user generated, the quality of the game really depends on the creator or the studio that is making the game and putting it on Roblox. So the vibe varies, but it looks and feels generally like it's for kids. And they're not all necessarily games either. They could be hangout spaces, but they have gamified elements. So I started playing around with Roblox a little bit this week. Um, to backtrack a bit, I had seen Roblox before, but mostly when I was like hyper-specific scenario visiting friends in Brooklyn, New York who have small kids and their kids would say, look, I'm playing Roblox on my iPad and look at this game and this is one of my favorite games. And I would observe them a little bit and then I had a firsthand experience of understanding the drug that is Roblox when I gave one of those said children a gift card for Christmas and I became his favorite person in the world. <laughs> uh, so, but this week I started to dive into it a little bit myself and I found that I could just hang out in his virtual hotel room. I mean, I literally went through like a check-in process at a little virtual hotel and I got a breadstick from a bakery and I sat there in my hotel room by myself eating a breadstick in the virtual world and it was like kind of nice actually just like real <laughs> quite life. nice yeah just just as I do in real life when I'm traveling for a reporting trip you've played Roblox right I have yeah I found that most of the experiences do feel like pretty amateur right they're they're very haphazard very manically designed uh, there's a lot of visual elements and a lot of sort of structural elements that just feel kind of annoying and don't really feel like uh, they make the world a better place to hang out in uh, but then every once in a while you encounter one that has a sort of professional sheen that ha feels like it has been built up mm -hmm. and it made me wonder are are all of the experiences user generated or are some of them made by like companies who exist to make Roblox games? Yeah, I think it varies like the size of the studio. They could be independent creators or it could be an entire studio that has made an experience or it could be a brand because I think we're going to talk about how Roblox makes money. Mm. But um you could have a brand like Gucci create a Gucci themed or branded experience in Roblox and it's marketing for them and it's an experience for the user and also people will buy really expensive virtual goods in mm -hmm. that virtual I don't even know if I'd call it a store or like a like a land like a Disneyland of brands I don't know I don't know uh, but uh, but yeah so it this thickness and the quality of the game depends a lot on the maker. Okay, so yes, how do they make money? Uh, we we know about Ro Robux. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have said Roblox. I have said robust. It is Robux with an X. Digital yes. currency. Digital currency. Yeah. So there's a there is a Roblox Premium, which is a membership model, which ranges from I think five to twenty dollars a month. And if you decide to join that, then you automatically get more robux when you renew each month or you can just be a, f a free to play player like you and i have been as we've been like poking around in there and then over time we would use real dollars to purchase robux which is the digital currency and robux is the overwhelming source of revenue for roblox the company the company refers to these purchases as bookings and um this is their monetization engine. This is this is like people will actually spend really good money to buy virtual goods in Roblox. And um, it tends to be, as you might expect, that the older a user gets, the more purchasing power that they have. And so they're more inclined to buy things in Roblox. I see. 
So the platform launched way back in 2006, um, very much like a game-centered experience. But as it's grown, it's become more of a social experience. Like, as you mentioned, there are a lot of hangouts. There are um, sort of opportunities to, to meet and greet other people. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was this big explosion in popularity because everybody was isolating. And there were like uh, people protesting the killing of George Floyd on Roblox. There were um, like women's marches on Roblox. It became like a, a virtual world, like a second life. Yeah, kind I was of just like, going to say like second yeah, life. Yeah. Like a oh hangout. God, like us olds. We're yeah. like, yeah, like second life kids <laughs> back in the day. Yes. So I think this social aspect of it is really important. Like there's chat in there, uh, you know, like you would find alongside like a YouTube video, uh -huh. a typical like sort of juvenile ribbing happening. But what is a company doing to sort of expand that social sphere? This is a good question. And speaking of chat, in one of my Roblox experiences this week, I couldn't figure out how to navigate somewhere. And I was asking people in the chat, like other game players, who I don't know, they're strangers, but I'm asking in the chat, like, how do I do this? And what about this? And at one point I said, um, am I too old for this? <laughs> Just really putting it out there into the world. And uh, someone DM'd me and said, uh, how old are you? And I, I told them my age and all they replied was dot. That's it. Just like a period. <laughs> And I was like, what, what does this mean? And I'm frantically Googling, what does it mean if someone just replies with a period? Is that an affirmative? Is you, that a yes? You know I think it it's a, I think it was a yes. Anyway, I, with some further Googling, I was able to get myself out of the navigation jam that I was in on, on Roblox. Um, with regards to what's new with those social elements, last fall, Roblox enabled audio chatting. Uh, you have to request permission. You can't just like start chatting with a stranger. And the new thing that they're going to be showing off this week at their developers conference right around the time we're releasing this podcast is uh, like a 3D Connect video platform. And this isn't going to be launching right away. Their goal is to launch it by the end of the year. But the idea is that you will be able to initiate or accept a video call from another Roblox user. Uh, you see their 3D avatar, they see your 3D avatar, you see facial expressions and some body movements. You do have legs on these avatars, which is a big question mark with some apps in the in the metaverse. And uh, and you can enter this virtual private space that is supposed to feel like you're in kind of an intimate space together. You're, you know, at the beach or in a forest or some other, I don't know, a DJ booth. Like so, I'm at quite literally making it. The DJ booth just came to me. That's a great idea. Roblox should build it. <laughs> but uh, you you have the opportunity to socialize with people as you are in this virtual universe. And the incentive for Roblox seems clear, right? They want you hanging out in Roblox beyond just playing the games because that converts to people spending more time there. Engagement is good for their app. Uh, it converts to eventually to dollars to those bookings, people using Robux to buy virtual experiences. Um, and then it creates more of an atmosphere, I think, eventually for other brands to get into and say, like, OK, this is a this is a space where people hang out. The wild thing, you know, when I spoke to Roblox CEO David Bazuki, like he indicated that he just thinks this is going to be like a like a video chat platform that people like us use. Like at Wired, we might just be hanging out in Roblox one of these days. Like not using Zoom or Google Meet? Sure. I mean, why not? We're all just living in Second Life, uh, Second Life for the New Age, Roblox. <laughs> why not just meet there if we have something to discuss? Um, 
he didn't say specifically, oh, when we're rolling out an enterprise grade platform for, you know, like the, you know, sure. the, the work days and the oracles of the world to use or Salesforce or whatnot. But like, but the idea was that everyone uses some form of video chat these days, whether you're using FaceTime, whether you're using Roblox, whether you're playing Fortnite with your friends and you're all hearing each other talk over a game. Uh, and so why not sort of like make that a little bit more official and roll out this like this this experience that's like yes people want to connect let's let them connect right i'm almost scared to ask this question mm -hmm. but <laughs> is the company doing it <laughs> you're already rolling your eyes what's the company doing with generative ai <laughs> oh yes bingo all of you playing bingo right now mark it off on your card of course there's a generative ai strategy don't you have a generative ai strategy i do I knew you were going to ask this question. They're also working on generative AI technology. This is going to let you build stuff in Roblox much faster. So you can, you know, type in something like spin up a magical fairy tale forest for my friend and I to chat in, and that can happen theoretically in seconds. Um, I often feel like we need to caveat this when we talk about AI, particularly on a Wired podcast, because we're so deeply nerdy about this stuff. But AI is used in many, many other forms with a technology like Roblox or any other gaming platform, right? Like even something like um, making it so as you're, as you're video chatting that you are not experiencing latency or um, the way that they actually use machine learning to try to flag problematic words or phrases as people are chatting so they can flag abuse on the platform or even the ways that they you know potentially are keeping infrastructure costs down as they build up stuff like this more and more and more and then they have to think about optimization it, it's a lot of ai but the generative ai stuff which is the hype phase that we've all been talking about yes they will be doing stuff around that too Nice. So that's going to make you want to use it more, right? Like a like a like a Gen Xer. You're like, yeah, you know what I, you know what's keeping me off of Roblox? <laughs> <laughs> Lack of Gen AI. That's really it. I will say that when I think uh -huh. about building a, a DJ booth in Roblox, it sounds like a lot of work. And if there's a tool that can make that easier for me to do, then I'm all for it. Would you do it? Would you host a like a fish fan concert? No, in I'd, Roblox. <laughs> I'd play reggae music. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> what if you knew, okay, but seriously though, what if you knew that you could get an audience of, what, what would a typical audience be at one of your shows? What, like my band? Yeah. I don't know, like seven people. I was there. Make it eight. <laughs> okay, but what if you theoretically could get <laughs> uh, like a hundred people listening to you, you do a DJ set in Roblox? Would you do it? Oh, sure. Yeah. That's, that's even pretty low bar. Even if seven or eight people were were there, I would still do it. Well, there was that website back in uh, twenty ten ish that all the cool kids were using, Turntable FM. Oh God, yeah, that was so annoying. <laughs> Why was it? I loved it because people have terrible taste. Well, generally, <laughs> so. it wasn't it wasn't super curated, but you could go into specific rooms where you knew people were going to be there who were yes. good. DJs yes. who had good taste. Yes, but discriminating taste. Mostly it was just like going out in any big city where it's like the music is insufferable. Anyway, we're getting <laughs> off topic. <laughs> sure, we're getting off topic, but I think what we're describing is the fundamentals of Roblox is not it's not a new phenomenon. Right. That idea that people want to meet in virtual spaces and connect that way and share art and ideas or even just have chats 
like that's not new. Roblox has just provided a space for people to make and share games. And it has been really, really attractive to a younger generation of users on the internet. Um, And those people are, you know, they're growing up to your point earlier. They're like, they're getting older like the rest of us. And so Roblox has to not only make its technology platform more robust as technology advances, but also figure out ways to age up with those users. Well said. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with more. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. So Roblox is a virtual world. Mm -hmm. You make an avatar. You run around in a 3D landscape. You interact with other people's avatars. Maybe you have a video chat with somebody else's avatar. This sounds just like the metaverse. Ah, the metaverse. Check that off on your bingo card. We already covered generative (laughs) AI. Yeah, this. uh, I asked everyone I spoke to at Roblox a series of questions such as, is this just the metaverse? Do you consider Roblox to be the metaverse? And the answer was... Sure, if the metaverse is defined as a set of connected three-dimensional social experiences that you use a computing device to port into, then sure. But they don't seem to want to use the name or the word the metaverse. And the metaverse as we know it is a phrase that was coined long ago in the 1990s by the author Neil Stevenson. But it has been co-opted by Meta, which literally bet the company name on it. And so now I think that when people think of the metaverse, that is what that's what they think of. Um, but there are a lot of smart people who cover this world of social and AR and VR and media and entertainment who say the metaverse already exists and it is platforms like Epic's Fortnite or Roblox. Nice. So what is the latest news with Meta's metaverse? Uh, that's another good question. So Roblox is on the MetaQuest now, by oh, the way, are. so you can access it that way. Yeah, that's relatively new. But um, Meta itself had said previously that it planned to invest more than $10 billion annually in the metaverse. We have talked about this a lot on this podcast. Uh, by some reports, last year it exceeded that $10 billion investment. And then in early 2023, Mark Zuckerberg reframed the company's efforts around quote-unquote efficiency, right? They announced layoffs, they cut out middle managers, 
Uh, they started focusing more on AI, like a lot of tech companies, and they scaled back a bit on metaverse. But I would say that AR and VR experiences, uh, plenty of people, plenty of people, big people, I mean, tech companies are still trying to make that happen. It's like fetch. They're just still, they're still trying to make it happen. Uh, Meta's experiences hinge a lot on the hardware. I mean, yes, it is a social platform. They have Horizon Worlds. Um, they, they, you know, they want to be an app store for these experiences. But I think they're known for like the Meta Quest, right, which we write about at Wired, and the Meta Quest Pro, which we wrote about last year. And they've shown off some prototypes of other hardware that goes in the body and that sort of thing. Uh, whereas, you know, there is something about Fortnite and Roblox where you're just like, just pick up the iPad and go. Uh, you can take it with you on the road. You can play it before bed at night. You don't, you know, it's it's like a there's a less friction, yeah, to experiencing that version of being online and being in a virtual world. And the metaverse really hinges on this feeling of presence, right? This feeling right. of when you log in, you are there with the other person. And I think it's funny that so many of the experiences that we're experimenting with now from all the different companies that are doing this. Uh, they involve some sort of person-to-person -person interaction that uses avatars. So it's a bit of a mental leap to really feel as though you're in a space with somebody if what you're looking at is not that person. It's maybe like a cartoonish digital representation of that person, or it's a seven-foot-tall unicorn with like, <laughs> you know, buff arms and like a spiked collar. Right. I would watch that unicorn TJ. Yes. <laughs> if you're thinking of making that your avatar. But but you know what I mean? Like people can yeah. be whoever they want in the yeah. metaverse. And that sort of makes the presence thing harder to grasp. See, it's funny that you say that because I agree with you. And I think that that is generational. Mm. I think that we are a little bit obsessed with uh, or at least attached to photorealism. And looking at real people's faces and their facial expressions and their emotions and connecting with people that way. And I think that younger generations, and we, we ran a, a great story uh, recently on Wired.com that talked about this with regards to TikTok filters. Um, and it was a surprisingly positive take, I think, on some of the filters that are really altering people's appearances because I tend to see them as something that creates a, a an inauthentic experience, a fake or surreal experience. And other people see them as a form of creativity, hmm. um, a form of expression, of trying on different identities uh, and being accepting of other people's identities, too. It's If you're someone who's uncomfortable being on the Internet and showing your real presence, your real face, an avatar is a way to to hide that. Mm -hmm. Um and so I do think that generationally that there may be some younger people who are embracing more of the avatar mode than than we are. I mean, I also think, and, and Roblox has said that eventually they think they will get to photorealism that's years down the line and getting to photorealism where you're in the metaverse and you're looking at a real person and there's no latency or glitches like that. That takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of tech, takes a lot of <laughs> bandwidth, right? But, um, but so for now bandwidth. they're like leaning on the avatars and yeah, I mean, I... So when I think about this in like a business context, like are we going to take a wired Zoom meeting someday on Roblox with our 3D avatars? I mean, maybe not, but maybe so. Maybe at that point we'll just be, they'll be like giving us the, the golden parachutes and saying like, see your way to the door. And uh, 
And all the all the young people here, they'll sit. First of all, they'll say, "What's a magazine?" And then they'll say, "Great, we're hopping into Roblox now and chatting with our avatars." I can't wait to read the corporate guidelines that outline what is allowed and what is not allowed in your avatar for the workplace. Oh, it's every, it's open season. Everything's allowed. Or do you think that they would make them for us and we can't change them and they would lock permissions? Can you imagine a world in which Anna Wintour is a creative director over all of our avatars? <laughs> I can. I, you can. I can't imagine that. It's it's not too far off. I would sure. be the best dressed I've ever been in my life. Same. Yeah. Fully. It all depends on how much money the company wants to spend on Robux so that we could outfit ourselves properly, right? Right. It would all come down to the, the Robux. And yeah. I mean, really, it all does come down to the Robux? Like, whether or not this succeeds hinges on whether or not it's going to make them money. Ah, uh, and this is a really good question because the point that you're making, I think, about the metaverse is that it's social. And what we've seen over the past 20-something years of social media is that it is primarily advertising supported Mm -hmm. i don't i can't think of maybe you can but i can't think of a subscription a big subscription social network you could argue that there are small ones like small groups and communities or an app like strava or something that some people consider a social network but but like for the most part it's support you know social is supported by advertising in the world of the internet roblox is primarily funded by this this robux people willing to buy virtual currency but i do wonder if over time they will get maybe pressure from shareholders or internally the company may decide we need to do more advertising. And that may also be part of the bigger picture of the audience getting older too, because there are going to be certain limitations on how much you can advertise to children, to kids. Uh, But also it comes back to that idea that once people get a little bit older, they have more purchasing power, a bit more disposable income, they can make the direct decisions about what they're buying versus, you know, using their parents' credit card. And so I do wonder if um, we're going eventually going to see more and more advertising on Roblox, but I don't know the answer to that. Billboards. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might, those might already exist and I just haven't spent enough time in there to figure, figure that out. But yeah, billboards. Um, Here's an uh, idea. Tickets to events. Mm-hmm. You can open a nightclub and you can have any music you want in your nightclub, but they insert an ad like every three songs and everybody who's in the nightclub has to sit through the ad. That's... Pro- there might be a version of that already. <laughs> well, then like, I'm... is it Spotify? I mean, I'm, I'm... if it's free Spotify, that's what it is. <laughs> We're really good at reinventing the wheel here. We, we are. should, like, yeah, I'm very. We've good. already reinvented like Friendster, Second Life, and now Spotify. <laughs> I'm very good at being three years behind the news. <laughs> just in case you didn't know. So one thing that is exciting to me about mm-hmm. the Roblox version of the metaverse is that it relies so heavily on user-generated content. And um, this is something that you know is not specifically part of the meta plan or of the Apple Vision Pro plan. Um, I think the fewer gatekeepers that you have around the types of experiences you can have in a in a virtual world is better for the health of the virtual world, right? Because then you get really weird stuff. And then you also get people interested who don't have like the technical ability or maybe don't have the funding to go through all of the hoops that you need to do in order to get something on one of the other platforms. Yes, but that's a delicate balance too. And particularly as we're having bigger conversations about content moderation on some of the big platforms and uh, abuse, misinformation, manipulation uh roblox is susceptible to all of that too so 
Yes, and that when you have a user, any user generated platform, whether it's Roblox or whether it's YouTube, for example, part of the the essence of that platform is going to be the the weirdness, to use your word, you know, the art, the creativity, um, just different perspectives that people have that make a platform so interesting. On the other hand you people can get incredibly abusive or mm-hmm. hateful uh mm-hmm. and spread misinformation and disinformation and even in the short time that i was on roblox this week i noticed a couple of folks chatting in the sidebar and one was effectively bullying the other calling mm-hmm. them ugly and illiterate and um yeah those are the kinds of things that happen when you're on any kind of social network and um you know, the way that the law is, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on Section 230, but the way that the law is currently structured in the United States is such that the platforms don't have liability for um, harms that may cross their platforms. This is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which we've talked about before and we talk about a lot in general because it's, a lot of people see it as an outdated sort of coda for the internet. Yep. Um and so there's a little bit of like, let it live, like let it exist, let it, you know, let it flow out there when it comes to user generated platforms. But you also have to have really smart and effective content moderation when you're swelling to something the size of Roblox and also when there are lots of kids using it. <laughs> yeah, very true. So maybe they could just like hire a bunch of people and uh, end unemployment in the United States. <laughs> or maybe, uh, maybe AI is going to fix it all for us. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is the future. Yeah, the future we live in. We live in the future right now. (laughs) Let's go into the future. Okay. Take a break and come back with our recommendations. Sounds great. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. And on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition. Click Here. And liftoff. Click Here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Here's our third segment. We get to tell you about things that we're enjoying that you might enjoy too. Lauren, you're going to go first. You're it's in the hot seat. It's just me and you. <laughs> Do we get extras because it's just me and you? Um, sure. Okay. Yes. My first recommendation is to get rid of all those cables. You don't need those cables. You mean like cable just television? Cables. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. This is, like no, lightning this is not cables? about cable versus stream. Yeah. Like cables. Like I, I was uh, partly inspired by an Instagram reel that popped across my feed of a guy sitting there sipping coffee and the caption says, just want to let you all know I got rid of all those old cables two years ago and I'm still I'm still doing OK. <laughs> uh, but I also was in the process of moving recently and had the opportunity to just purge a ton of cables, cables for speakers I no longer use, cables for decades old laptops, cables for like phone like a you know i haven't used in eight years and i got i just finally got rid of most of them and i feel i feel pretty good about it uh so get rid of your cables don't hold on go through if you can the proper 
e-waste process, you can often look up where an e-waste recycling center is by you. Look at their rating. And Mike is giving me eyebrows right now, just so y'all know, <laughs> because this is something that he talks to me about quite a bit when I say, I'm just going to get rid of all these gadgets. I don't need all this tech. And he says, make sure that the you're, you know where they're going downstream. Yeah. They're going to where they're actually going to get recycled. Due so, diligence on vendors, people. That's Yeah. That's my first one. My second one is in honor of our excellent producer, Boone who could not be here in studio this week. And he gave me permission to share this because Boone recently got COVID. He's doing okay, but he got COVID and he thinks he got COVID from jury duty. The man was doing his civic duty. And let me tell you something. Boone is a super nice guy. He's a super principled guy. And he really was committed to to doing his civic duty. And you know what he got from that? COVID. You know what Ronald Gladden got from this? From doing that exact thing, being a stand-up guy who went to jury duty? $100,000. Who is Ronald Gladden? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this is my second recommendation. If you have not had the chance yet to watch Jury Duty, a program that came out on Amazon Prime earlier this year, you must watch it. It is a part reality TV, part mockumentary, part documentary. The premise is very, it's like the Truman Show. Everyone has said this because it is true. It's a, a jury of 12 people. It's in Los Angeles. 11 of those people are actors, paid professional actors. One person is not, and he has no idea that he is the only one who's not an actor. The judge is an actor. The bailiff is an actor. The plaintiff is an actor. The defendant, the lawyers, everyone, actors. And there's this one guy, Ronald, who's not an actor, and he doesn't realize that all the shenanigans that are happening are not real. Uh, he thinks they're real. There's also a legitimate celebrity on the program, James Marsden. The actor plays James Marsden. He plays a super conceited version of himself. Very funny. Um there are moments during the program where you wonder about the ethics of it, and that is a good question. You should wonder about the ethics of it. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking about. Yeah, because this had, the, I think, the possibility of going really sideways. Uh, I'm still thinking about how Ronald must have felt when he found out, finds out the truth. You oh, have yeah. to get, you of course, have to watch it. I won't spoil it. It's like the most epic catfish ever. Like, it's, yeah, his face... It's, you can find it on TikTok. It's um, if you're on that app, along with all the other youth. It, yeah. Uh, but I, I recommend checking out Jury Duty. Okay. All right. Now I gave my two. Now you get to give your two. That was really indulgent. That felt so fun. <laughs> okay. I'll start with my with my the one that I've prepared. Okay. And then the other one will be off the cuff. Okay. So I want to recommend a podcast. It's called A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs, and it's produced and hosted by a British gentleman named Andrew Hickey. This is a historical podcast and it traces it's, you know, it does what it says on the tin. Uh, it traces the history of rock music through the history of the, the world of music. And it does it by putting a pin in very important songs in the history of rock music. So it goes, you know, all the way back to the 1920s and 30s at the beginning of the show, and he's working his way up, and it's been going on for years and years. He's written books. Uh, each episode is over an hour. Now the episodes are approaching like two and a half, three hours. It's 
it's getting hairier as we get closer to present day, but he's still like in the late 1960s. So um, it's a, it's an approachable show because he's talking about things that if you like music and you like popular music that you care deeply about, right? But it's also really cool because there are a lot of music podcasts out there and a lot of them are like Wikipedia podcasts where it's one person or two people basically just like recounting the facts that you've already heard that are easily Mm -hmm. accessible online about the artist or about their piece of work. But this show uh, goes a lot deeper than that, particularly lately as the show has has gotten closer to the 1970s where things are a lot more well documented. Um, Andrew goes deep into where an artist came from and puts the song into the context of like the political situation or the cultural movement that it came out of. Uh, there's also a lot of discussion about, uh, like musical influences, like where this chord change came from, where this drum beat came from, uh, how the artist may or may not have encountered that in their own life. So it's a very deep, very nerdy look at the music of those songs. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Lyrical content of those songs is great. Um, what's one of the facts that you've taken away from this so far you think is particularly interesting? Particularly interesting. Yeah, um, something you didn't know before even in, in your encyclopedic mind about music. <laughs> so much, so much. I will say that uh, the episodes that he's done around the Beach Boys and their career, because mm-hmm. they show up a few times in his chronology, those have been really enlightening. The episode that really surprised me was the one around Light My Fire by The Doors. Oh. Okay, uh, and like the musical influences from jazz and from pop music that came into that song, also really fascinating. I would recommend that you actually anybody who's curious start with that one or the the Beach Boys ones. Also, the episode about the Velvet Underground was really good because it goes back into like 20th century classical music and avant garde music in New York about the ten years before the Velvet Underground recorded White Light White Heat. Um, so yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot to chew on. But I would, I would recommend looking at the feed, finding something that you're like, oh, I like that song. That's my favorite artist. That's my favorite album. So does that mean there are 500 episodes? Yes. He also does special Patreon episodes. So I think some of the 500 are not in the feed. But okay. it's it's a, it's like a decade-long project. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yep. I'm glad you think so. Totally going to listen. I can't <laughs> promise I'll listen to all 500 episodes. But... <laughs> I don't think anybody has. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Okay, recommendation Second, number two. Yes. Bitters and soda. Say more. Bitters and soda. If you're out, if you're at mm-hmm. the bar and uh, you know, you're know you in a social situation and everybody's having a drink and maybe mm-hmm. you don't want to drink mm-hmm. or maybe you want to take a break between drinks or maybe you have to run a race the next morning and you, you don't want to have alcohol, bitters and soda. It's the way to go. It's soda from the gun and a couple of dashes of bitters from behind the bar. Every bartender has their own variation on it because it is what bartenders drink often uh, to get them through their shift. Uh, it's hydrating. It can be delicious. Uh, and it looks pretty. And you also sidestep that weird social thing where like people have all kinds of questions if you're not having a drink, right? Yeah. Can I get you a drink? Why yeah. aren't you drinking? Yeah. Try being a woman and people asking you why you're not drinking. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I literally cannot even imagine. So bitters and soda. It's a, great, a good one. It's a great little life hack. And as I've been getting older, I've been deploying it more. Thank you, Mike. Is that what you, uh, is that what you drank before the last time you ran that road race? It is, yeah. Yeah, I drink it often. (laughs) 
even at home now. I do bitters and soda at home now. It's nice. great. It's All a right. fun. It's a fun life. That was a good off the cuff recommendation. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for for your recommendation. You're welcome. I feel like we've given people a lot of really good life hacks today. <laughs> we have. Watch jury duty. Drink some bitters and soda. Don't go to jury duty because you will get COVID. Yeah. Get rid of all those cables <laughs> and enjoy your 500 volume history of rock and roll. Many, many hours. That's great. You know what we didn't recommend? Hanging out in Roblox. <laughs> I think that was tacit. I think that was implied in Im- the show. Implied that you should or that you shouldn't? That you should. I you don't should know. give it a shot. Mm. Everybody should give Roblox a shot. And if you can figure out how to make your avatar move around in the virtual world, please tell Lauren because she's still working on that I'm part. I'm still there. I'm stuck. I'm just standing there with a virtual breadstick in my hotel room. Well, thank you for stepping into the real world to join me and sit in this room and talk about Roblox. Oh, there's no place I'd rather be. Than that's, in this studio with you, Mike. That's wonderful to hear. How about an Apple event? How about Cupertino? Would you like to go there? Ooh, are you hinting at what we might be doing next week? I'm telling you what we will definitely be talking about next week. Yep. Next week, we'll be down at Cupertino on Tuesday for what we anticipate will be a new iPhone series of iPhones. Yeah, maybe. New Black Slabs to play with. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um and we'll have a few other folks here, too, and from out of town with us. Julian's going to be here. Adrian's going to be here. It's going to be a whole Wired podcast party. Apple, Apple, Apple. Yeah. Don't so, miss it. I can't wait. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. If you have feedback, you can find us on the social medias. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We hope you get well soon. We'll be back next week. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From P.